Miracy. The algorithm's there to help you. Most people are trying to game it or work around it. Therefore, it's also there to punish you. Hello, and welcome to Blowing Up, the podcast that shows entrepreneurs like you how other businesses exploded in the best possible way. I'm Linda Claire Puig, the founder and CEO of Six Figure Newsletters, and I'm here with my co-host, Ari Eni, the head of strategy for the ACES Business Acceleration Program at Miracy. Hey there, Linda. In each episode of Blowing Up, we showcase an entrepreneur whose business, yes, blew up. It experienced what seemed to be sudden success, but as we all know, for sure, that kind of success is not random or a fluke. The company employed a specific strategy that caused its rapid rise in revenue. So today we're going to dive into that strategy so that you can learn from it and determine how you might apply elements of it to your business. In this episode, we look at LinkedIn. Who's it best for? and how to please its algorithm by doing things that are actually really good for you to do anyway in your business. Our guest is Adam Houlihan, founder of a marketing agency called Prominence Global. It's an agency that is 100% dedicated to helping entrepreneurs all over the world do amazing things on LinkedIn. Welcome to Adam, and let's jump right into the conversation. When COVID hit, a lot of people just really needed to get online and LinkedIn was a platform that a lot of people knew about but didn't really know how to leverage mm-hmm. well. And so we experienced like 100% growth for the year on year over those two years of the pandemic. Wow. So how did you get your name out there? Before COVID-19, a lot of our new clients came from me speaking at events all around the world. Now, I'm based in Australia, so we're about as far away from everyone as you can get. I was probably spending about a week, a month, traveling to destinations overseas all over the world, Mm. speaking at conferences and things like that. And, of course, that all dried up. It was just like (laughs) an overnight, you know, all over. Yeah. Yeah. So we started doing web events. Webinars is what everyone else calls them, but web events is what we call them. We said, okay, we're going to just run five events a year, but we're going to make them pretty big. So these days we get about 15,000 people across five events on an annual basis. We call it the LinkedIn update. Hey, these are all the cool things that have been released by LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Here's some little tips about how you can leverage it better, stuff like that. And we have a very, very soft pitch. Our pitch is really soft. It says, hey, you guys know what we do. If you want to chat to us after this, just fill out this questionnaire. Our team will get back to you. That's about as pitchy as we get on the events. I love that positioning. The positioning as an update, especially for something that's constantly changing, like we know social media is, I think is brilliant. Yeah. It's not just any old webinar. It's an update. You're going to learn new stuff. Our last event, we said, hey, look, if you want to talk to us a bit more in depth, just fill out this form and we'll do that. I think we had about 170 people do that. So, you know, yeah, nice. our sales team were a little <laughs> little busy. Busy. Yeah. How did you use LinkedIn to promote the LinkedIn updates? We used uh, a feature called LinkedIn Events. It's an event platform built on LinkedIn. It's not so much that we need to host the event on LinkedIn, albeit it does integrate nicely into LinkedIn Live. Sure. We still prefer to use Zoom, but we actually promote the event through the platform. 
I know you use JV partners as well, right? So what percentage would you say comes from LinkedIn versus JV partners? Funny enough, it's almost a third, a third, a third. Oh. So it's about a third of those people come through our database, a third come through what we do on LinkedIn, and about a third come through our JV partners. We put a lot of time and energy into our JV partnership program. Mm-hmm. The only thing we ever have them promote is these free events. Mm-hmm. So their, their audiences are very open to it. We get very good traction from that. Uh What made you decide to focus on LinkedIn? When we first started the business, we were a general marketing agency. We kind of did stuff on Facebook and Instagram and all sorts of platforms. The thing I've always been into myself right from day one was LinkedIn. And so I had somebody in the team that handled Facebook, someone on Instagram, someone on Twitter, and I looked after LinkedIn. The more we went forward, the more it became clear to me that the days of these agencies that were generally good at a lot of stuff but not amazing at anything, which is what I felt we were. Right. Like jacks of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the days are numbered for that. The way social media is moving, the rate of change, it's going to be incredibly difficult for agencies to stay across so many platforms. I knew that really going all in on LinkedIn was the best move for us. Why did you particularly take to LinkedIn? Why was that always your thing? As you guys know, it's actually not an easy platform. It's a very, very difficult platform to get Mm -hmm. by. But for some reason, it just always made sense to me. I always kind of got what it was. I I got how it worked. So what is the secret? If LinkedIn is so hard, what are the main things that people could take away from this conversation, for example, that are going to get them in a good place with regard to LinkedIn? What's hard is how quickly it keeps changing. What's the right thing to do right now? The difficult part is keeping across the constant evolution that LinkedIn's going through. The fundamentals of how you get good traction is not overly difficult. There's four parts to the process. The first part is your profile. This is where most people get this wrong. The problem is that it's not actually optimized in a way that LinkedIn understands what you're all about. The second part of that is your connection strategy. The problem that most people don't understand is when they're just accepting those random connection requests and they're spewing out all these you know, outbound requests is it becomes so algorithmically confusing to LinkedIn. They go, well, we have no idea who, who the, the market is that you're trying to get in front of. And the third part of it is your content strategy. This is the critical part is what LinkedIn's really looking for these days are content creators that create really good quality content, but they stay in their lane. They stay in a niche. They're very, very targeted in in what they talk about. And that was the advent and release of the creator mode on LinkedIn. It's all about supporting the people who are great creators of great content. The real traction you can get these days if you embrace this concept is that LinkedIn will give you the most amazing organic traction far beyond any other platform if you serve them first, the fourth pillar and the one that almost everyone gets wrong still is they think that that then gives them a platform for sales pitching type activity. Of course. Whereas right. What right. Like just sending spamming right. messages essentially. Hey, want to connect? Want to buy? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what they should see it as is this golden opportunity to absolutely leverage their authority and get people to events or take a next step with you all of the sales processes actually should be done off LinkedIn. And when you do it like that, LinkedIn goes, we love you. You're the type of people we're looking for. Not many of you, but we love you. And therefore get treated differently to the other 99.9% of people on the platform. 
It's interesting that you said that they ding you if you don't have a very narrowly focused niche. I love that because it's yet another confirmation of the need for a narrowly focused niche. Exactly right. You can't be all things to all people. That's really the hardest concept that people seem to take a long time to uh, come around to or often never do. But everyone can, can use what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that one a great one? Yeah. So where are you going to find everyone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll usually say, okay, let's go on company size. You say you've got a product or service that can serve everyone from a solopreneur up to a company with a, a team of 100,000. Oh, yeah, maybe not. Okay. So you don't serve everyone. And then you can continually, you know, break that down and down and down. How does LinkedIn know? Is it based on just its AI and its algorithm scouring the content? Is it based on the hashtags that are being used? What should people be looking out for as they're creating content in order to make the algorithm happy? It's a mixture of all those things that you mentioned, Ari. Start with creator mode. Creator mode is there to help you if you know how to use it. And the first thing that happens when you set up creator mode is it's going to ask you to come up with a maximum of five hashtags. They should be the topics that you are going to talk about, but they should also align with each other. So you can't be, you know, one hashtags over here and the other ones, the other side of the moon on topic, come up with a maximum of four topics that you're going to talk about and a personal hashtag. And that's the content. So you've got to optimize your profile around the people that I serve through those content topics. And that's what LinkedIn's trying to make an alignment of. On your profile, they're trying to be able to algorithmically read that profile and go, okay, we understand the problem you solve. Think about it like that. What's the problem I solve? Everybody thinks about it like a CV, but uh, I don't really care what you did 10, 12 years ago. Right. What I want to know right now today is what problem you can solve for me. That's the reason I want to connect with you. So we always have three problems, three solutions. Read through my about section. It talks about three problems I know that exist in the marketplace, the three solutions I have for those problems. And here's the outcomes when we solve that problem for you. And so LinkedIn can then look at your profile and go, I know who you serve and I know the problem you're solving. I can see who you're connecting with and we can see the content you're creating is in line with that. Therefore, we can now confidently go and show your content to, it doesn't matter whether you have a 1,000 connections or the maximum, which is 30,000, you can get the exact same traction because LinkedIn's going to show it to more than those people. I have never thought of the algorithms as friendly, helpful things. And I think a lot of people have the same kind of impression that they're this thing you have to beat, this thing you have to trick, this thing you have to somehow manhandle over into showing you to the right people. But what you're saying is you have to help it help you. It's just confused. It is. The algorithm's there to help you. As you said, Linda, most people are trying to game yeah. it or work around it. Therefore, it's also there to punish you. <laughs> so, right, right. <laughs> the second biggest inquiry we get on a weekly basis is, oh, I've just had my account restricted. What did I do wrong? Well, I don't know, but, uh, you know, they don't restrict your account for nothing. The price may not necessarily be an account restriction. That's the worst case scenario. But what I guarantee you the price will be is very limited visibility. Throttling, sort of. Exactly. That's exactly the word. We call it suppression, but it's exactly that throttle. Mm -hmm. They don't stop you posting your content. But they don't have to show it to anyone. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's our playground. We make the rules. Mm -hmm. and uh, LinkedIn talking, of course. 
Is there an industry, is there a kind of business that you wouldn't recommend this for? It depends. At the end of the day, it comes down to, is your target market on LinkedIn? Yeah. Mm. So, right. you know, if, say you were a hairdresser. No, LinkedIn's probably not your oyster. Mm-hmm. Instagram's probably where you should be. There's some markets that you'll find everybody has a LinkedIn profile, but they don't tend to be super active. Therefore, you just struggle to get their attention. You know, B2B is easier than B2C, but that's a guideline, not a rule. We have a number of very, very successful clients who are B2C-centric. In fact, one of them is a jeweler, believe it or not. So these guys, very high-end jewelers. They're not your mum and dad type jewellery store. You're not going to walk out of this place spending less than five and probably more like ten. $20,000. And their showroom is amazing. They spend a million dollars just on the fit out of the showroom. And the strategy we've always implemented for them is it's never about buying jewelry. In that million dollar fit out, they actually put a bar, believe it or not, a scotch bar in the uh, oh. showroom. And what they do is once a month or every six weeks or so, they run these scotch appreciation nights. They get a speaker who's a specialist in this one particular scotch or whatever it is. Sometimes they do it at champagne for, Brilliant. for you know, ladies. They're in a big city here in Australia. So we target people within like a 15, 20-mile radius of that location, and they're all people in high net worth, like they'll be doctors, lawyers, engineers, business owners, that type of thing, uh, with never the intention of ever selling them jewellery but with the intention of inviting them to these Scotch appreciation nights. And, of course, what happens, they come along and then they get to meet Carl, who's the owner of the business and the jewels. And, of course, at some point then when it's an anniversary or it's a, a special event or whatever, oh, yeah, I should go and see Carl. They're top of mind. Yeah. Who's the jeweler? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I mean. The strategy has to be very, very different. It's not buy my jewellery because, of course, that would not work very well at all. So. It's come to this event. Yeah, come to this event, yeah. Often, if you're selling on LinkedIn, if you're trying to use a LinkedIn marketing strategy, you generally would need a higher-end ticket item. If you're in B2C, if it's B2B, then of course it's going to be higher ticket. Would you agree with that? What would be a minimum that you think people need to be charging in order for this to make sense for them? I'd agree with it 100%, but I'll answer it in two different ways. Sure. One is if you're using the paid advertising platform on LinkedIn, LinkedIn ads advertising is very, very expensive. Generally speaking, what we say to people is you want to use paid ads and you want to get a decent ROI on those ads, you're going to need a lifetime value for a new client to be somewhere above $25,000. That doesn't mean to say that somebody cuts you a check today for $25,000, like say you're a business coach and you charge $2,000 a month and your clients stay with you for a minimum of 12 months. If it's lower than that, the cost per acquisition of per client can, can get a bit crazy. So that's version one of that answer. The other one, though, if you're not using the paid ad platform and you're doing it through organic means, then there's a time cost. People often mm. don't value what time costs. So you can still get those same results, but someone on your team has to do the work. Good point. Or you have to outsource right. it to us. Right. Even if it's you yourself that are doing it, it's exactly. still a time cost. Like someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do the work. Right. Is there something else on LinkedIn that people that are in business for themselves don't have much of a team can do to benefit their business, benefit their marketing that doesn't involve what we've talked about thus far? Like, would it be a good place to search for JV partners? 
Yeah, 100%. So what I've just shared with you is the holy grail of, of how to go about it. But, of course, how we originally started getting all of our JB partners was exactly that. So how many hours would you say someone who is starting out, they want to start this process of training the LinkedIn algorithm, essentially showing it, look, I do have a clear niche. I help people in these ways. This is the kind of content I'm putting together. Show me to the right people. How many hours do you need to put in per month to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. I believe you can get a good result as a, like say, a solopreneur doing it all yourself. If you can invest one hour a day, Monday to Friday. So yeah, we're going to say, you know, 20 odd hours a month. You can definitely be effective in, in what you're doing. A strategy that I've seen a lot is the LinkedIn pod. So where people get together as a group and everyone comments on each other's stuff in order to boost engagement. Does LinkedIn pay attention to who is commenting on people's content? And if it's too broad a spectrum, they're like, okay, maybe it isn't clear what this person is doing and then throttles back from that? Or do they not care? And it's like, okay, engagement is engagement and it's good. Technically, it's against their terms of service. If anyone was to actually read you know, all the terms of service, almost everything is against their terms of service by <laughs> default. <enough. laughs> so just because it's against the terms, often it's guideline, not a rule. Pods kind of sit in that guideline over, as opposed to a rule. What the challenge is, is there's a lot of really bad ones where the response will be something like nice posts or thanks for sharing right. or something. You know, Oh, right. If the comments are less than five words, then it basically discounts it as not being a comment. Or if it's just an emoji or something like that. The other thing is that they're too small groups. So they're either these really big ones that just automate these really rubbishy comments, or they're ones where I might get interested in something that you've shared, and I'll then go on your profile and have a look more, and I go, hmm exactly the same people commenting every single time something's (laughs) going on here (laughs) right yeah and linkedin might be doing that too right absolutely yeah yeah if they kind of see that it's exactly the same they go "Mm, looks looks and smells like a pod suppression you know kick in again it's really the, the key thing is your connections what they're really looking for is who are you connecting with and is that in alignment with how you optimize your profile and is that in alignment with the content you create? That's the key thing to, to worry about. So let's talk. One of my big aha takeaways from this conversation with Adam was that social media algorithms aren't necessarily the bad guys. At least now that I understand how LinkedIn's algorithms can fall in love with you, so to speak, I understand that it's more like I help you, LinkedIn, by being clear in my audience targeting and clear in the niche that I'm serving and the narrow content areas I focus on for them. And in return, you, LinkedIn, send tons of organic traffic my way. That's awesome. Huge thanks to Adam for sharing his vast expertise with us. And be sure to get Adam's gift to you, his LinkedIn productivity scorecard. It's an assessment on how effective your LinkedIn strategy is now. And it gives you a comprehensive, customized report on how you can improve the four key areas needed to be successful on LinkedIn. 
You can grab your copy of it at blowingup.rocks forward slash Adam. That's blowingup.rocks slash Adam. And if LinkedIn is right for you, then get going with this strategy and blow your business up. This episode of Blowing Up was produced by Linda Claire Puig. Cynthia Lamb is our managing producer and Danny Eni, our executive producer. Post-production by Post Office Sound. To make sure you catch all the really great episodes of Blowing Up, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, we'd love it if you could leave us a starred review or share the show with a friend. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Miracy. I certainly am willing to admit what I don't know. I tend to hold my truths lightly. I try not to have you know, very firm convictions because I recognize that when you move up an organization, your information is limited because you have a greater breadth of responsibility. I'm Sharon Richmond. I'm an executive coach and consultant with more than 30 years experience working with C-level executives. To Lead as Human is the podcast for you if you want to supercharge your leadership by bringing all of yourself into your role. Listen as our guests reveal their hard-won lessons and share their deep humanity. I think the turning point for me was when I realized that I want people to tell me what they think, and they're afraid. They were honest to God, afraid to tell me things. It's like, I checked all the damn boxes, but I am so alone, and I'm so unhappy. I'm burning myself out. And when I started looking at, like, you know, my fears, going into the shadows, sharing it with others, the very thing that would be a nightmare for most people in the workplace is the very thing that led me to my dreams. My guests know that the influence they have as top leaders comes with an equal measure of responsibility for all their stakeholders. They not only deliver great results for their customers and investors, they do so by building organizations that provide purpose, meaning, and a healthy work environment for their employees. One of the hallmarks of good leadership is clarity. If there isn't clarity around the goals, that creates confusion, that that creates chaos what's the end goal, what are we trying to achieve. And that makes people's jobs more purposeful. And people are clearly enjoying that. People who are making their own decisions, they're significantly more motivated in doing what they're doing. Yeah, I've really seen the maturity and growth of those individuals. And I think that we've now kind of really been able to create a lot of autonomy and give people a lot of freedom to do their best work. So not rocket science, nothing too crazy, but... uh, You know, that was definitely a journey. I hope you'll join us every other week as we talk with these inspiring leaders and learn from the very human challenges and successes they've experienced on their own leadership journeys. And you asked me questions that I was like, gosh, I'm not sure I know what my values are. So I know they're there. 
but I'm not sure that they're articulated. So thanks for asking me those questions. They were hard. 